G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Matthew 5 verse 24, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the Lord, surpasses, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, what a word to have before us as we continue our series in Deuteronomy. Uh, before we pray, I'd like to um, just begin with this. So a, um, a Christian writer, a pastor, author named Ajith, um, or Ajith, I think it might be, Fernando, Ajith Fernando, um, he makes the very obvious point, and I think we've probably um, seen this uh, over the past weeks and, and thought this um, uh, to ourselves, many of us anyway, uh, the very obvious connection that the first four commandments... The first four commandments match up to loving God and the last six match up to loving your neighbour as yourself. Um, so it's the two greatest commandments, isn't it? First, the, the vertical in the first four uh, commandments, loving God, the vertical, if you like, and then the horizontal in the last six, love your neighbour um, as yourself. Uh, but I particularly like the way uh, Fernando then describes how the two are connected, how the one leads to the other, how uh, the, the latter flows from the former, how love thy neighbour naturally flows out of love the Lord your God. So have a listen to the, uh, the picture that he, that he has here for us, Fernando. He says, the sequence in which the commandments are given represents the two priorities of Christian behaviour. It begins on the vertical plane with our relationship with God and it flows onto the horizontal plane, I like that picture, flows onto the horizontal plane to our relationship with people and things here on earth and he says we cannot have one without the other. I just, I really like that image for us to have before us as we, as we come to the back half of the commandments now, uh, this, this flowing that there is a connection between our relationship with God and our love for one another, that one flows from the other. So when you have 236 millimetres of rain on Mount Wellington to Friday morning at 9am, <laughs> then it flows, do you see the metaphor? It flows through the city of Hobart, causing chaos and carnage and all the rest. When you have a vibrant love for the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul and strength, then it flows out to loving your neighbour as well. Okay, the, the, uh, the metaphor, maybe not the best one to have chosen there. That last bit again, it begins on the vertical plane with our relationship with God and it flows onto the horizontal plane to our relationship with people and things. And he, here it is, the last little bit, we cannot have one without the other. Um, Fernando's saying, loveless behaviour amongst us indicates there's a problem upstream. There's a problem upstream. There's further trouble uh, in our vertical relationship if we're having difficulty with one another at the horizontal level. True and pure love for people, it doesn't compete with love for God, it doesn't turn away or take away time from loving God. If I'm doing a good job at loving other people, no, Fernando's saying you can't have one without the other. They go together. The, one, the, the, the latter flows from the former. True and pure love for people doesn't compete with love for God. It doesn't take away time from loving God. It doesn't deprive God somehow. 
Loving others doesn't compete with loving God, it completes our love for God, it expresses our love for God, uh, it displays it more fully. Anyway, I just wanted to have us to have that image before us of the connection, the horizontal flowing out from that vertical uh, as we turn our attention to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and the, uh, the back six or three of the back six of the Ten Commandments there and indeed uh, continuing our series in Deuteronomy 5 to 11. Uh, Moses, of course, as we heard in the video, is here reiterating God's laws, God's commands, God's ways to the people of God as they stood at the edge of the wilderness longing for a new life in the land that God was giving them, uh, learning to walk in His ways Let's pray as we come to God's Word to us today in these ancient words. Let's pray. God of all the ages, may your eternal Word transform us today into men and women characterised more thoroughly by love of Christ and love of our neighbour. And Father, may those loves coalesce into loving acts, demonstrably loving behaviours. Father, we confess before you now that in so many ways of our lives, in so many areas of our lives, we do compartmentalise and we separate things out and we neatly divide. We have work time and we have home time. We have family responsibilities that we keep separate from perhaps our hobbies or our sport or whatever. But God, we don't want to shut you out of any of the spaces or places in our lives. And so, as we consider how to express our love for you in relationships now, we pray for your guidance and your help and your transformative power by your Spirit and through your Word. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Uh, I wonder, could you just, um, I'm going to give you a question and I'd like you to complete it, uh, provide the last uh, word, the last, uh, fill, it, uh, fill it out for me. So please supply one final word for this sentence, could you please, just in the, in the privacy of your own mind. Uh, here's the sentence, the thing that you need to have in mind as you come to the Ten Commandments to rightly understand them is the one thing, the one idea perhaps, the one word that you need to have in mind as you come to the Ten Commandments to rightly understand them is what? I wonder what you've provided there. Um, I know I've put you on the spot. But how would you fill in that blank? If there's one word to have in mind when you come to the Ten Commandments that you might rightly understand them. Um, I think there are lots of answers, actually. Perhaps you can think of a couple that, have, that came up in that video before. There's, I, I think there's a number of answers that you could give. You could say law. Um, you could say, um, listen, you could say, God, you could say, wisdom. Um, there are lots of answers that you could give, but can I give you my answer? My word that I would have you have in mind as you come to the Ten Commandments that we understand them rightly, my word is grace, is grace, um, by which I don't mean grace as in the grace of a dancer, Wow, look at her move, she's so elegant, she's so, her, look at her beauty, look at her grace. No, no, I don't mean that kind of grace. And I don't mean grace as in um, kind of a refinement, uh, as in she carried herself with such poise and grace, even when he was so rude to her. 
That's not the kind of grace. I mean biblical grace. I mean grace the way the Bible uses the word, which is to say grace as that lavish, generous kindness from God towards us human beings. That's the grace that the Bible speaks of, a grace that is so far beyond, a kindness that's so far beyond what we deserve, what we uh, deserve in our acts, uh, that is, in fact, the absolute polar opposite of what we deserve most of the time. If there is one word for you to have in mind as you come to the Ten Commandments that we might rightly understand them together, I think it's this, I think it's grace. Um, It's actually all throughout the chapters around the Ten Commandments there in Deuteronomy. So, Deuteronomy 7, let's have a quick look there. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. Not the word, but very much the idea, uh, where it says, The Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your forefathers. Do you see the idea of grace there? In fact, chapter 7, verse 1, a, a little bit earlier on, um, uh, it's, it's not just that the other nations, wow, they were, they're more impressive than you, they're, they're larger than you, they're more numerous than you, it's that they've also got better prospects than you, Israel. Uh, so, verse 1, they are larger and stronger than you as well. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 9, here's another one. So, once you've entered Canaan, Deuteronomy 9 verse 4, do not say to yourself, this was God speaking to Israel at the time, don't say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. (laughs) No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord uh, drove them out and so forth. Verse 6, understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. All right, so get a load of this. You are small, you are um, stiff-necked, sinfully stubborn. You're not better than the bad guys. In fact, you are frankly less impressive than them, smaller and weaker um, and stiff-necked. But you know what you are? You are mine. And do you remember how the commandments begun? We've read it a few times over the past few weeks. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And so the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, You shall not make for yourself an idol uh, and and so on. Down at number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And and down at commandment number four, observe the Sabbath day. And we talked about that last week, didn't we? That is to say, I have worked that you might rest, O my beloved people. So, as my people, as my free people, who I have committed myself as my people, who don't need to prove yourself, who don't need to justify your existence before me, let me show you the social fabric that I would weave for you and that I would have you weave together. And I think that is the context to have in mind as we come to the back six of the Ten Commandments, because here come the horizontal, the social, the outpouring of that vertical relationship with God, Here come the interpersonal flowing down uh, into our social fabric, those relationships there. So take a look with me, Deuteronomy 5 and verse 16, would you please, at the first of the three commandments that we're going to look at together today, Deuteronomy 5 and verse 16, uh, where we read this, uh, where we read this of the, the social fabric in the design of this God of grace. 
Verse 16 of Deuteronomy 5. Honour your father and your mother. Honour your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Practically speaking, what do you think that means? Honour your father and your mother. Um, it's interesting, by the way, on Mother's Day, it's interesting that mothers get a mention. I think we often think of um, all those ancient civilizations as, as, as patriarchal and um, misogynist. There are hints, and here's another one of them, that amongst God's people, that was not to be their way. Honour your father and your mother. Just a little hint. It's heartening, I think, on a day like today. Um, yes, but what does that actually mean? What does it mean to honour them? your father and your mother. Because most of the stuff that I read these days, they say, well, it means do what you're told. <laughs> it means obey them. Um, so, mum and dad are the boss and the kids are the doers, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, that's often the shorthand that we reduce this to. But may I remind you, uh, I don't think that's the best first go-to for honour. And we've, we've talked about this um, a couple of times before, but I feel like I'm still wrapping my head around it, so I'd like to share it with you again. So, this is from, from John Dixon talking about honour-shame cultures and ancient uh, uh, civilizations, I suppose, ancient ways of doing things, because I don't think obey is a very helpful starting point. So, here's John Dixon, the ancient history lecturer at Macquarie Uni, and he says this. He says, one of the most difficult things for ancient history students to get their heads around, and that's us, is the place Mediterranean societies gave to honour and shame. Honour was universally regarded as the ultimate asset for human beings and shame the ultimate deficit. So much so that academics frequently refer to Egyptian, Greek and Roman societies simply as honour-shame cultures. Much of life revolved around ensuring you and your family received public honour and avoided public shame. Okay, now, now what does that look like? Well, Dixon paints a bit more of the picture. He says, um, uppermost in a father's mind in the ancient world was not whether his son would be happy, in the modern sense, or make money, or live morally, but whether the boy would bring honour to the family, especially to his father, and to himself. It's interesting, isn't it? It's this little cultural experiment that we've got to do, getting our heads back into quite a different way of looking at the world and the connotation of the word honour there. So, honour your father and your mother as the Lord has commanded you, I think it shifts the emphasis. It's not just obedience. We can't reduce it to that, can we? Um, how will my actions as a child of my mum and dad expand the family renown, do you see? Reflect my mum's wisdom or my dad's character, uh, what they stand for? Will my decisions and my actions draw honour to them or shame. Uh, just say one of mum's friends saw what I'm doing right now. Is that going to be a problem for mum when, when word gets back to her? Do you see kind of more the, 
the thing. It's not just about obedience, is it? It's a far more all-encompassing way of looking at our actions. Honour your father and mother, O ancient Israelites. Now, it, perhaps it's worth saying, if a child's... Um, it, it, permit me just a little digression here. Uh, if a child's family life is particularly unhealthy, uh, then that child is up against it from the start, trying to show honour to their mother and father. And has this very verse and others like it been used at times to suppress the voice of children who um, lived with parents whose actions have been decidedly dishonourable? Has this verse been wielded to silence young people lest they be not only disobeying and dishonouring their parents but even disobeying God because it's in the Ten Commandments if they were to pipe up about the dishonourable things done by their parents. It's a heavy subject but let me say clearly, you are not dishonouring your parents if you speak up about their dishonourable behaviour. And if you ever need help to speak up or want someone to walk alongside you as you do or just listen to you as you do, then your leaders here at church are here for you and will help you and will stand by you. I feel that needs saying when you come across a verse like this. Um, but on the other hand... Can we, can we see the, the vision more positively? Can we see the honour your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you? On the other hand, can you see the vision for relationships that's held out here when things are going really well, when things have been going really well, when there is honour, when there are noble parents uh, living noble lives, seeking to raise their children in good and God-honouring ways? If that child's family... Uh, starts from a place with noble parents, parents who act wisely, then I would say that this call to honour your parents in that circumstance, well, doesn't that enrich a child's standing in life, actually? Enrich a child's standing in life. It will steady them as they go, even perhaps, can I put it this way, even free them in some respects. Now, what do I mean by that? In the sense that a child who is confident in where he or she stands with mum and dad can freely walk to the beat of their own drum if they're a bit different to their friends, um, can find courage to step apart from their friends when they need to, can lead their friends when their friends are perhaps directionless, will honour their parents by standing up to their straying friends will stand by their struggling friends and won't fear that it's going to bruise their honour to be standing by the loser. Honour your father and your mother. Let's move on. A second bit of social fabric. Let's move on. So Deuteronomy 5, we'll pick it up from verse 16 again. So honour your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Next commandment, you shall not murder... And then lastly, we'll get to it in a minute, you shall not commit adultery. And on the one hand, with commandment number six there, you shall not murder, you'd hope it doesn't need saying, wouldn't you? It's kind of a baseline, you shall not murder. But then on the other hand, perhaps it does need saying, even today and especially today, how we value 
the lives of the vulnerable amongst us. And I know, I know these are hot-button issues. It's kind of one of those sermons, isn't it, that touches just by the nature of the stuff that we cover. We have to touch it on a, a whole bunch of very sensitive material. But the, the, when it is enshrined in the Ten Commandments, the people of Israel would have to have thought pretty hard before they sanctioned the death of anyone, wouldn't they? So in our day, euthanasia has resurfaced again in political discussion and we perennially discuss um, abortion, of course, as well. Um, let me acknowledge both of those are really complex issues. Both involves, involve more lives than just the two threatened lives the, 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 in, in those two um, issues. But come across with me to Deuteronomy 10, and this is why we read some of these verses before, would you please? I'd just like us to, uh, let's try and see this law, this call regarding life, you shall not murder, in the tighter corners of Israelite life back then, and, and see how the fabric of society was to be woven in their day in perhaps the more difficult areas. Can we do that? So Deuteronomy 10, how were the most fragile, how were the most vulnerable, how were the most frail and exposed lives woven within the fabric of Israelite life. Did they have a place? Deuteronomy 10 and verse 14. There's a bit of a preamble first. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Verse 15, yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and don't be stiff-necked any longer. So there's a bit of preamble. This is the God who I am and I chose you. I just decided to and so you are valuable to me. Your lives are valuable to me. Verse 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God mighty and awesome who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. That's the kind of God he is. Verse 18, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. God is saying, the ones who, whose lives matter to me Right. Yes, all of your lives matter to me, <laughs> of course, but that's not the way you see the social fabric working, is it? The ones you don't even notice, God is saying, they matter to me. The fatherless, the widow, the alien. Get this, your value to me does not scale with your social position. I show no partiality, I accept no bribes. It, your value to me doesn't scale with your social position, it doesn't scale with how much you still have to offer the world. The God of gods and Lord of lords doesn't care about that stuff. What does he need from your hand anyway? No. But the ones you don't even notice. What are the modern equivalents? The refugee, I guess? The, the frail lady who's just taking too long to park her car and you, you, you're stuck behind her and, and why do you have to wait for her? You're in a rush. The rough-looking kid, he looks a bit fidgety, shifty eye, greasy clothes. Where did he even sleep last night? Imagine living in a society where those lives were afforded the very same dignity, the very same respect, the very same patience and care and support as the 1%. Verse 19, and you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt, 
Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God and so on. Honour your mother and father. You shall not murder. Lastly, Deuteronomy 5 verse 18, you shall not commit adultery. So God's design uh, for the lives, for the fabric of society in Israel, for the lives of every man and woman and child in Israel was a, was a pattern, was a fabric where each person resolved to live an honourable life, uh, whether or not his parents necessarily acted so as to command respect and demand uh, honour, a pattern where each person lives as a peer, like truly as a peer, a genuine peer to one another, uh, no matter how low you have sunk or what you have sunk into, And God's pattern describes a person who prizes a faithfulness to their word and to their commitments, even when perhaps every fibre of their being beckons them to compromise on it and bend it. God called them, in other words, to the very kind of faithfulness that had put them back together as a people. Do we see that? Turn with me again. His faithfulness had done that, do you see? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 7. Uh, Deuteronomy 7 and verse 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you. We read this before, didn't we? The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out of Egypt and the rest. Verse 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. And so, Israel, what kind of people are you to be? You shall not commit adultery. It's not just that adultery is um, selfish or that it's stupid or that it shatters lives Uh, or that it leaves all sorts of collateral damage. It's not just the two people or the three people, is it? It's it's all of the the shattered relationships around about that as well. It's not even just that he or she is not yours to have, although we'll get to that under commandment 10, thou shalt not covet. No, it rips to shreds a fabric of life together that should point to the very faithfulness of God to you. Do you see the faithfulness of God, the vertical flowing out to the horizontal, the kind of fabric of society that we are to have with one another? You were a people, God is saying to Israel, you were a people who were not so pretty anymore. You were a people who had become deeply unattractive in your sin. You were a people who didn't understand me anymore. You were a people who were far less impressive and far less exciting and far less wonderful than all of the other options on the table. You were a people who withheld your heart from me. You flirted with all of the other gods, didn't you, Israel? Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. Um, I thought this uh, was a very helpful little paragraph from a pastor, Uh, and especially in light of of Jesus' words, we read them before, didn't we? Uh, Cutting off your hand and gouging out your eyes so seriously and decisively, we need to deal with sin in this particular area. This pastor writes, 
no one falls into adultery suddenly. There has been a process of compromise of which the physical act is the climax. The compromise involved sins of the mind where illicit pleasure was obtained from things or persons from whom we are not permitted to get sexual pleasure. And so let me say clearly, if there's decisive action, you know, cut off your hand, gouge out your right, decisive action, I think that's what the metaphor means, that you need to take to what? To reflect the faithfulness of God toward you in the gospel, in the fabric of your relationships, then can I say, take that decisive action. Stop the process of compromise as it's described there. How do we bind all these things together, these three areas, honour your father and mother, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery? How do we bind this? Can we turn to Colossians chapter 1, actually? Can we turn to Colossians chapter 1 together if you've got your Bible on your lap in the New Testament, in the time of Jesus and uh, looking at at the Gospel together? Because the bottom line is, God called His people to sew a fabric of society together that was, um, that was rich and that was strong and that was beautiful and that was intricate, that had space for all kinds of different people, uh, for every person within Israel, even the alien and stranger that made room for every person, that honoured God at every single turn. And they, Israel, just like we have expertly taken, taken that fabric apart, haven't we? And I don't just mean the politicians, you know, the politics of it, that's a discussion for another time, but personally, we've tugged away at faithfulness and played at the frayed edges of honouring um, our parents, torn apart, just plain ignored, even spurned the kind of life that God has called us to, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. And Colossians 1 declares to us this morning, declares to you that what we have broken, Christ has repaired for us. Can we take a look there? Where we have turned away from God, where we have turned against one another, Christ has led us back and Christ will lead us back. I really think Colossians 1 offers you a place in the kind of society which for now is just the church but one day will be the recreated people of God in His presence. Colossians 1 offers you a place in the kind of society that will not let you down, that begins to show this repair where you won't let yourself down or God down or anyone else and it all starts with Jesus. Uh, Let me just read this and then we're going to pray together to close. So Colossians 1, pick it up from verse 21 with me would you please? Once, writes Paul to these Colossians, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behaviour, but now He, that is God, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish, free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the Gospel. This is the Gospel that you heard and that was proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and I fill up in my flesh, writes Paul to these Colossian Christians, fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, which is the church. 
I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, the hope of glory. It sounds to our ears like glorious riches indeed. Oh God in heaven, would you please take our wandering hearts, take our dishonouring wills, take our arrogant pride and teach us to weave the pattern of life amongst your people, even now, that puts your grace on display Father, for those amongst us whose faithfulness is flagging, stir us to decisive and resolute action. For those amongst us whose anger smoulders at those we think less than us or whose arrogance elevates us over those we think are less than us, grant us, would you please, a humbling view of the value of every human life for those amongst us whose decisions in the past have been poor and foolish and even shameful, may we, God, discover the courage to set right what we can in this life and to find our security and our identity in you. Father, we do pray for the marriages in our congregations, we pray, in our congregation, we pray for the relationships between children and parents, we pray for the little cracks of social class and privilege. Lord, may the reconciliation that we have found in Christ bring repair and mending the kind of social fabric that you would have bind us together in our unity in Christ. We ask for it in the power of your spirit, please. In Jesus' name, amen.